This podcast is designed to show how we all sell by being human. And I'm really excited to highlight an event this summer that brings together salespeople who I believe are the very best at doing just that. This episode is brought to you by the Sales Success Summit, hosted by Scott Ingram, happening October 11th through 12th, 2021 in Austin, Texas. This is an event for sales professionals by the top sales professionals in B2B sales. I personally came to this event in 2019 as an attendee, and the amount of personal and professional growth I obtained as a result of attending it is truly massive. I met my coach and mentor. I found job opportunities, met Scott, met people who helped me launch this podcast, networked into the current job that I love. I attended some phenomenal sessions, and I really met some lifelong friends. You may think the number one salespeople at their companies are arrogant or cocky. I actually found the exact opposite was true. This event is run by salespeople that aren't just the top 1% at their companies. They're some of the best human beings that I know. I'll be attending it in person. And if you want to meet me, come hang out, come join me by signing up at top one, that's T-O-P, the number one, dot F-M and tell them I sent you. All right, now to the show. All right. Hello, hello, hello. Welcome to another episode of the Stories of Selling Human podcast. I'm your host, Alex Smith, and I started this podcast because I believe everyone in the world will someday be faced with a situation. It could be business, it could be personal, that requires you to create change. I think we all want to be heard, seen, and understood. And the people who get our attention and convince, persuade, or influence us, I think, aren't just salespeople. They're great human beings throughout all walks of life that we're drawn to. I'm going to share their stories here so we can tap into what makes us human, practice our human skills, and ultimately, we'll all become better at selling by being human. All right. I'm so glad to talk to this dude. We were just joking. It feels like years since we last uh, you know, talked or saw each other in person, and that means end of 2019. It's a decade yeah. away from now, but this dude is... He is an outbound sales coach and trainer for B2B reps and sales team. You can call him J-Bay. He runs a company called Blissful Prospecting. He is the host of the Blissful Prospecting podcast. A great friend, just a dude knows his stuff when it comes to outbound messaging. Just a real great human being. Please welcome none other than... Jason Bay to the podcast. Welcome to the Nickelback uh, opening. <laughs> For those <laughs> that don't know, Jason is a is our first uh, Nickelback fan, and not just a fan, like super fan. Maybe the first to admit it, Alex. I think other yeah. people yeah. secret yeah. thing that like uh, a Nickelback song. Yeah. Oh, that's Nickelback. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. I think a lot of people closet Nickelback fans. Yeah. How would they sell so many albums? And when I see him in concert, there's a whole stadium full of people. <laughs> yeah, it's those guilty pleasures. But I mean, when things are good, like, you know, you have a, a song that like just is in your head, it might be Nickelback and you just may not even know or want to admit it. <laughs> but uh, we'll get into maybe your favorite song and how that came to be. But this is about you and sales. I wanted to bring you on because I just feel like your voice, how you teach people outreach, how you teach people email messaging and, and cold call messaging, and we'll get to tactics and all that. But I feel like this is stuff that there's a lot of people that are doing these things outside of sales that probably don't even realize they're doing them. And maybe even people in your life that, you know what, you you really felt connected to them. And I've heard a lot of people ask you, and you've been on tons of podcasts, and 
you'll admit that you kind of fell into sales by accident, like a lot of people do. And, um, you know, you wanted to be in forensic science or kind of a CSI kind of thing, but then got into door-to-door sales, which I love. It's a kinship there because my door-to-door sales was a coupon card where I just like hitting people up and trying to sell pizzas and oil changes and all sorts of crazy stuff door-to-door. And that was not easy, but you know, (laughs) such as life right out of college. But my question for you is even before all that, like you say you fell into sales, like I'm curious, like when you were a kid, were you good at getting things that you wanted? Were you great at it or were you just terrible at it? And kind of how did you first kind of learn maybe in your personal life that, huh, like maybe I am good at understanding people or, or how did that even take shape, you know, in your life early on? Yeah, this is a really interesting question because I did not figure this out as a kid. And the the reason for it, and I had great parents, it's not a knock on my parents, but neither of them are entrepreneurial. My mom is actually in sales now. She's a mortgage loan officer. But growing up, what was rewarded in my house, especially with my dad, was following the rules. Here are the rules of the house. Here's how it works. You get good grades. You get money for that. If you get valedictorian, we'll get you a car for college you need to go to bed by this time. We eat this dinner, no complaining. It doesn't matter what your dietary preferences are. Don't complain. That is sort of the rigidity uh, that I grew up in. So for me, it was really clear. And I actually liked the structure at the time because it was very clear what the reward system was. If I follow the rules, I'm really easy to go along with. I'm a good kid. I'm the oldest of four. I'm going to get a lot of the things that I want. So the entrepreneurial salesperson in me did not come out as a kid at all. It was almost very suppressed, actually. So I had this thing inside of me that I never knew that I had. There was never an opportunity to express it, never an opportunity to actually go out and do something where that type of behavior, thinking outside the box, doing the pattern interrupt, being different, sticking it, none of that was rewarded for me growing up. So that door-to-door job, working for CollegeWorks Painting, selling house painting services door to door, which the average house painting to paint your home, it costs about three to $8,000 depending on the neighborhood and in the area. So it's, it's not, you know, high ticket in terms of home improvement stuff, but it's, it's definitely not cheap. People don't just give you $5,000 when you're 19 to paint their home if they don't trust you. (laughs) You know what I mean? So that was really the first environment that I experienced, Alex, that taught me that I'm actually really good at this. And I hate to sound I hate to sound like an asshole, but and facetious, but sales came really natural to me, man. And I'm introverted. The door-to-door thing, I didn't like it necessarily, but I was very good at it. Hmm. I, I rounded up three of four, four of my friends. And that was kind of the thing is you launch your business over the weekend. So I traveled two and a half hours home from college to my hometown of Brookings, Oregon. You bring some of your friends out, you go door-to-door, you get a bunch of leads. I got like 130 people to sign up for estimates in a weekend. And then the next weekend, my best friend, and now this guy named Barry, he was my district manager. So he was my boss. So what they do is they train you on sales. So it's, hey, Alex, we're going to do a whole day of estimates together. We're going to spend five estimates. That's 10 hours it takes to do that. And I'm going to close you your first job. I'm going to watch you do it. It's going to be great. Well, Barry goes 0 for 5. (laughs) Good job. So I'm like, like, oh, shit, dude. You know, like, what am I getting into? (laughs) The next day, I go 3 for 5 by myself you know, and close $11,000 or whatever it was. You know, the first one was a deck. And I remember because the house was next to my best friend's parents' house growing up. 
And I remember crunching the numbers and I was bringing in the contract. And it was like maybe 2,500 bucks to do their deck. And I was like, so Alex, you know, do you want to do this? And they're like, yeah, let's do it. And I had to call Barry. I was like, so when someone says yes, what do we do? Do we get them to sign it? Do they give you a deposit? You know, <laughs> I didn't know what to do because I'd never seen it. So that was kind of a long-winded answer to your question. I didn't really, as a kid, all of that was really suppressed. I never expressed any of that. I was not in an environment where that was rewarded. And for me, that reward system was very clear. It was to do really the opposite of what someone would do in sales. Yeah. And it was to be very compliant with the yeah. rule, to be a rule follower, mm-hmm. which I feel like the best salespeople are not rule followers. I don't mean being hard to work with. I mean, I've been told that I should do cold calling this way, but I'm going to try it this way instead because I think it'll work better. You know yeah. what I mean? That's what great salespeople think. I didn't get to experience any of that until I was you know, 18, 19 years old. Yeah. I'm really interested to see like if this is something that people like, you know, I don't know if you ever thought of yourself as like rebelling from that, or if you just, you wanted the opportunity to have your own freedom and, and be creative. And, and that's how your creative kind of creativity manifested itself. Because I know a lot of people that would have been in that same situation and be like, yeah, we're throwing you door to door. You'd be like terrified, you know? people say it comes naturally. Like, I'm like, what are the reasons behind that? I don't know. I'm not, you know, a psychologist, but it's like, I feel like everyone has this in them a little bit in the, in this desire. We all want to have the ability to, to choose our own path. And there's definitely fundamentals in, in sales, obviously, but ultimately everyone expresses, that's why sales is an art. It is an art and a science, but I feel like the people that cling to it, and really love it, like, you know, say it comes naturally or the people that gravitate towards the creativity side of it. And, and you saw that guy go over and you could say, oh, I'm not going to go. I mean, I, I can't do that. I can't just go rigid to what he's telling me to do because I'm not going to do anything. So maybe I need to be creative my own way a little bit. Yeah. I think you bring up an interesting point. What I go to is values. Does a person value what they would learn from going door to door and do they see how that translates into other areas of their life? Because everyone, for the most part, unless you have, you know, some sort of handicap or, or deformity or something like that, everyone has the physical ability to go door to door and sell house painting services for the most part. And again, I'm not going to say that, you know, if you're a woman or a person of color, especially African-American, that's going to be a little hard. I witnessed that, you know, that was harder for, people going in predominantly white areas. Mm. If you were a person of color, I happen to be Asian, you know, so Asian people got easy, (laughs) you know, in that regard. So outside of those types of situations, because I do want to acknowledge it, that everyone's experience is different. You have the physical ability to do it. So what's the difference? And it really comes down to what you value and would you desire learning how to do this thing? And I think that's a really good, interesting way to look at sales too. Because the thing that I learned going door to door that is so important, there's two really big things. I always share this in trainings now, and this applies to B2B too, or anything really, is that when I was running a house painting business and I had to map out, we called it territories, you got to pick out neighborhoods to go door to door in. I figured, hey, Alex, if I go focus on the neighborhoods where eight or nine out of 10 of uh, every 10 houses needs painting, dude, there's a big need there. There's a lot of houses that I could paint, right? And when I started going door to door in those neighborhoods, what I realized is that just because they needed it didn't mean that they wanted it. They valued it, they desired it, or they could afford it. I think that's a really important lesson 
in sales is that just because there's a need there doesn't mean that there's a want and a desire or the ability, the means, budget in this case, to do that. So just because people have the ability to do something doesn't mean that they will want to do it. And you got to find a way to connect to what people value. So what I started doing was going into neighborhoods where maybe one out of 10 houses needed painting. And the yards were really nice. They drove nice cars. Not necessarily that a car is an indicator that someone cares about their home, but it's an indicator that they care about their stuff. And those were the neighborhoods where I got a lot of people, even that didn't have noticeably peeling paint, being like, yeah, I upkeep my home. I don't wait for it to fall apart before I paint it. You know what I mean? And then the other thing that I learned too was that when I try to sell stuff to people when I first meet them, no one likes that. (laughs) So when I try to get you, Alex, to adopt my way of thinking and to do the thing that I want you to do when I first meet you, that's too big of a commitment. So in other words, when I tried to talk about house painting at their door and said stuff like, hey, Alex, I was wondering if we could talk about painting your house this summer. I'm doing estimates and all. And people are like, dude, it's, it's February. Why would, no, not right now. No, I don't got time. I'm busy. Instead, just getting them to think about the next step, which was, hey, Alex, you know, I don't know if you noticed, I saw some peeling paint up there. I just came by. I don't know if you're planning on fixing that yourself or having someone come out to fix it for mm-hmm. you this summer, but we're offering free estimates for and we're going to be hitting a bunch of houses in the neighborhood. What are you up to next weekend? I'd love to come by and, and give you an estimate. Yeah. And that was way different. And it was prospecting and selling. It's, it, those are two totally different activities. One does definitely help the other, but they're completely separate. When we're selling, hopefully we're in an environment where the other person's opted in to be into that environment. They've agreed to take the sales call with you. They've agreed to meet with you, whatever. Mm-hmm. When we're prospecting, we're interrupting that person in a buying journey that they might not even be on, (laughs) you know? So we have to take in consideration that getting them to buy our stuff, that's a huge commitment. Let's just, but what's the next natural step? And can we just focus on that for now and get them to kind of compartmentalize this so that we can get into a sales process where they've agreed to be there. So I think a lot of this is when you're trying to get someone to adopt your way of thinking or your point or sell them on a project or whatever it is outside of sales, I need to have a conversation around that. I can't just go in really hard with what I want. I got to find out what you want and what's important to you and what you value and get you talking and have a conversation where you're disarmed, right? And the antennas aren't up and you're, you feel understood. You feel that I'm listening to your perspective and what's important to you. Yeah. Those are two really, really big things. I learned those at like 19 that looking back, I'm like, oh, wow, this totally applies to every sales context that you would be in. 100%. I know we were talking beforehand about certain industries like software and stuff, and people look for that technical skill. But what you just outlined right there, you know, you could rewind that, and that can translate to any industry, any business, your personal life. I mean, sometimes salespeople, I have to catch myself too, because we all want to like, we, we see some someone that has like, they're the great fit prospect. You would go up to someone's house and see their, their house is painted terribly and you know and you're like i gotta tell them what they're missing out on i gotta like show them that we're gonna save them money i gotta gotta i gotta i you know it's instead of like i was around i noticed this and look i don't know if you're trying to fix it or not or even deal with it maybe you're not you know who knows but if you are looking to even address it here's an easy way to do it it's free and if you are like let me know so it's just so casual and I feel like that's that, that casual approach that people are like, okay, this person's actually just here to like bounce ideas off of. And maybe I could ask him because 
like I'm not going to do the work. So many people go to my house all the time, like, you know, can we decide your lawn and stuff? And I'm just, it's the last thing. I have 10 different things on my priority list of fixing my house and like window trimming and, you know, sodding while like, you know, they're up there. They're not like as big as like my pool, you know, or like yeah. fixing my boat or something, you know? So like, you're just like, Hey, I don't know if you're trying to deal with it, but if you are, you know, Hey, I'm here, you know, would, would you be interested? Like that sort of thing. And um, you get more conversations that way. I feel like. Oh, absolutely. And that's the important thing is that what I've been on a really big kick with, and this is something I learned from my business coaches is they talk about the way that most businesses market is it's really optimizing the process for a conversion. So think about that. It's, Hey, Alex, if you want my free ebook, go to this landing page at xyz.com and you go to the page and they want your email address and your phone number and all this other stuff. The whole process is geared towards getting a sign up, a conversion or someone to pay for something or to click on an ad. And what they talk about is, you know, actually if, if you prioritize conversations over conversions, you're going to see who raises their hand and you're going to get to actually converse back and forth with these people. So instead of having one out of every hundred people that go to this landing page, sign up for that thing. What if you had 20 people have a chat with you about it? And what you'll find out is maybe only a quarter of those people actually follow through, but five out of a hundred is better than one out of a hundred because you're able to have a conversation back and forth. So when we're prospecting, it's conversations. Let's get the person talking so that we overcome this weird first 10, 15, 30 seconds, whether that's at the door, over the phone, in person, if it's businesses, whatever it might be, we get past the formality of I'm a salesperson and you're a prospect, an unknowing prospect. <laughs> yeah, no. You know what I mean? And it's that conversation. How can I get the person talking about what they do, their process, what their priorities are? I'm a really, really big on that. And then we can see if our thing fits into that. And if it doesn't, we can leave because it's not a fit. And that's okay too, if it's not a fit. Yeah. I think what you just said does, it translates into, I want to, I want to talk like some tactics a little bit, because I think people will listen to this, you know, a lot of people in sales, some people are not, and, um, they feel like they're, you know, if they don't get a response, they feel like, man, I'm just, maybe I'm, you know, kind of annoying here. How do I start a conversation in a way that's like, just that people do think, okay, this, because the stereotypes are there, like, okay, people can read salesperson right away. I mean, it says it on people's LinkedIn profiles, like you shouldn't walk away from it, but what are some things you think about, whether it's in like a personal life at a networking event or through email outreach, like, are there just some like simple fundamentals that you would like people to think about when they're just starting conversations? Cause I'm sure Jason every day, I mean, I get it maybe once a week or a couple of times a month, but I get the, I get everything from connect with me and then, Hey, like check out this. And, and immediately after I connect with people, they're sending me uh, links to, you know, webinars to sign up with their newsletters or whatever about them. And there's no conversation to be had. What are just some basic fundamentals maybe for like cold conversations that you would implore people to, you know, think about before, before yeah. starting them? Yeah. So there's three kind of shifts that you need to make that are going to make life a lot easier <laughs> for starting conversations with people. So these three shifts are, if you imagine, you know, again, I think I brought this up earlier. Imagine a circle on the middle of a piece of paper and inside that circle, it says target market. 
So these are all the different types of prospects that would be a good fit for your business. Maybe they're VPs of sales, directors of sales, maybe they're in SaaS companies, all of that mix, all in one, right? And the approach right now, because it's so hard to get people's attention, you kind of have people attacking this problem in two different ways. On one side, you have mass blast one-to-many. So if you look at the target market, that circle in the middle, imagine a bunch of arrows pointing to the outside of the circle. You're treating everyone inside that circle as a group, as a target market, instead of an individual. Now, pros is there's a lot of large volume that you can do there. It takes very little time. Cons, a lot of rejection. Very, very low success rates. Less than 1% of the time. That's going to suck because these, these are the people saying unsubscribe to your emails and not responding back to you, hanging up on you on the phone, that sort of thing. On the other end of that, what you have is you have this, well, I'm going to treat every little individual as a special little snowflake. And that sounds really good in theory. I'm going to customize everything. I'm going to do, I'm going to do quality over quantity. And the only downside to that is the volume's extremely low because now we're spending 30 minutes, an hour on every individual trying to find the perfect thing to say to them when most of the people are not going to respond to you anyways. So the first shift that we need to make to make starting conversations a little easier is how do we, that target market circle, instead of doing the arrows pointed to the outside or the arrow pointed to one person on the inside, how can we start to break that target market up into a bunch of little circles inside that circle? So segments. Maybe that's by industry, maybe it's by use case, maybe it's by job title. And we start to reach out to individuals and we find the patterns amongst those individuals. So that would be the first thing is you need to adopt a quality first approach, not a quality only approach or a quantity only. It's both. How do we adopt a quality first approach and then scale that and you get the quantity there? So if we can wrap our head around that, that I'm going to reach out to specific segments of people and 80% of everything about these people is going to be the same. And then I could do a little bit of customization to that. And again, the example for me would be, I'm going to focus on SaaS companies that are under hundred employees with a dozen SDRs slash AEs and one VP of sales managing that crew. A lot of those businesses, that VP of sales is going to be very similar to every other VP of sales that's in that same type of company with that size company. All right, that size team. So that's the first thing. Life's going to get a lot easier when we can think quality first and then think about how we can treat people in segments. So the second thing is, and what really repels people is life is pretty hard when we come into conversations and we talk about ourselves. So think about what it's like when you're on the receiving end at a networking event you brought up earlier and someone approaches you and they start talking about themselves and why they're there and what they, how they're so awesome and what they want. It's pretty obvious that no one likes hanging out with those type of people. <laughs> Yet we do that when we cold call and prospect. We have this incredibly me-centric approach and it sounds like this. Hey, Alex, my name's Jason Bay. I run a company called Blissful Prospecting. We do XYZ. We're so awesome because we worked with these companies. Their emails start like that. Their cold call starts like that. So you need to make this shift from me-centric to you-centric. So how can I be curious if we're using the painting as an example? The person hasn't painted their house. Instead of saying, I can come in and help you with that, what if it was what we talked about earlier? Let me put myself in the shoes of this person and think, why would someone have a house that is in this condition and not take care of it? Maybe they don't know. That was the case for me a lot of times. Maybe they just aren't out there inside their house looking at it every day to notice mm-hmm. peeling paint there. Maybe they don't care about fixing it. Maybe they've been trying to get around to it. Maybe like you, Alex, there's 10 other things on the priority list. Maybe they don't have time to do it. Whatever it might be. So if I can adopt this you-centric approach and go from me to you, 
and think about you and be naturally curious and start with you and engineer a prospecting process with you in mind and what you need to get out of this to want to take a meeting, again, life's going to be a lot easier when I'm prospecting. And then lastly, the last approach is how do we move from this old school Alec Baldwin, although I love this scene in Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross, this always be closing, <laughs> your coffee's for closers. Very entertaining, but I don't know about you. When someone's selling to me, I don't like when they're always closing me. It doesn't feel very good. And how do we move from always be closing ABC to teach, don't take? How can we give people something in return for their time? So that if you take a 30-minute meeting with me, I'm at least going to share a nugget or two that you're going to find helpful, either for yourself or for your team, regardless of if you decide to move forward. So how can I give you something in return? So the three shifts, again, are how do we move from mass blast to quality first? Not quality only, but how do we kind of find a sweet spot in there? And then how do we move from me-centric to you-centric and make it about the other person? And then how can we give them something in return for how can we teach someone something? Now they're getting something out of the interaction. And I can feel really good about that because I'm not making it about myself the entire time. Completely think that that's just an easy framework. I mean, it feels good when I hear you say that to me, like if, if someone's to approach me and just to ask me kind of questions about me and they're curious about me, then I don't feel sold to necessarily. I'm, I'm just like, okay, like maybe they're, maybe through these questions, I'm, I'm feeling like maybe I don't know anything that I don't know. And through these questions, I'll learn something. Even if I don't do anything with you, Jason, like I'll think of him because, you know, he was asking questions about me. He wasn't just telling me about that him. So when you're like training people, so I know just some simple kind of like simple mistakes you see people make, you know, in that first interaction, maybe you could take cold calls or emails, like simple mistakes where maybe it's lines that, you know, you think that you see, you know, a, a lot of your students like use and they're just looking at them the wrong way. Or maybe it's like a simple shift. Maybe sometimes it's just a simple word change or a sentence change. What do you see the most of, you know, and maybe you could take cold emails and cold calls. Do you see like similar mistakes out there or just kind of curious, like, are there big shifts that people have to make or are they uh, smaller than that? You think it's really big shifts in mindset and the okay. very small shifts in execution. Okay. So the big shift in mindset is me centric to you centric. Okay. So there's a couple of things that you need to have to really pull this off. And I call this, if there was any cheat code for outbound, this would be the outbound cheat code. And it's a lot of hard work to get, but if I know the priorities of the people I'm reaching out to, doing cold outreach becomes a lot easier <laughs> because I can start with that. So we talked about segmentation earlier. So one thing that you could start doing and people will start to feel like, okay, cool. This person, Alex, that's reaching out to me, I, I get he's a salesperson, but he really understands my world. And what you can start doing is on every discovery call that you do or demo, the very first thing that you want to do is once you kind of get past the formality of the rapport and getting the call started, it's, hey, Alex, before we dig in, I know you probably got a million things that you're focused on right now, but if you don't mind sharing, what are your top two priorities? And the reason I ask is I want to keep this conversation relevant to what's most important to you today. And people will share those priorities with you and you need to write them down word for word if you're not recording the call, literally word for word, because they'll say all kinds of cool stuff. We have this guy, Ethan Parker, he works for a company called Brandcast. He's in our prospecting bootcamp. And we made this shift in his cold calls doing exactly this. And he went from 
you know, one out of every 14 people he connected with and talked to getting a meeting to one to three, right? So he reduced dramatically the amount of people he had to talk to in order to get a meeting. And he made this shift of talking about their priorities at the beginning of the call. So what he did, every discovery call, he asked people and he wrote those down. And then when he heard something new on a cold call, he would write that down. And you start to find these patterns, right? In these segments and pockets of people in your target market, you start to find patterns. And that's what you start out with. So if you really were diligent about finding out your prospects' priorities, and then second, the problems that get in the way of those priorities, what you're hearing, that makes the rest of the process pretty straightforward. So it's the difference between something like this. Hey, Alex, Jason with Blissful Prospecting. We do our permission-based opener. Hey, I know I probably caught you in the middle of something, but you got a minute for me to tell you why I'm calling and you could let me know if you want to keep chatting. So you do your permission-based opener and the person says, yeah. Because eight or nine out of 10 of people will usually say, okay, cool, what do you got? Now, instead of starting with, yeah, like I said, I run a company called Blissful Prospecting. We do X, Y, Z. Instead of making it about me, if I make it about you, normally when I talk to people like you, Alex, they tell me that two or three of these things are a priority for them. And I'm curious which one is a bigger priority for you. And one thing I, I'm hearing a lot lately is that, you know, being a VP of marketing and insurance company, you know, one of the things is really how do we reduce the risk of the content that our brokers are sharing? So in other words, since I can't see what they're sending their clients, how do I make sure they don't share something that would get us in trouble? And the second thing that I hear a lot is, you know, throughout the sales process, how do we create these personalized experiences at scale for people? Because they might be getting other bids and estimates from other insurance companies. How do we make sure that we can increase our closing rates by delivering a personalized experience for them? Which one of those two things is a bigger focus for you right now? So when I can be really specific, that's what Ethan, this is his talk track. And I can not just say, oh, they're focused on reducing risk or increasing revenue. It's like, yeah, yeah, everyone's focused on that. But specifically, what related to that? Now, all of a sudden, I'm having a conversation about stuff that's important to you because what people will say is, you know, actually that reducing risk thing, where I, that's definitely something I've been spending a lot of time on right now is thinking about how we can control the content they're sharing so we don't get in trouble. Oh, interesting. Now we can talk about problems associated with that. You structure your emails in the same way. You structure it around a priority and around the, how they might be having a problem. And then your value prop is simply, you can make that problem go away or you can make that easier or you can help with that or you're helping other people with that. Or I'd love to share with you how these other two companies were helping them handle this problem. Yeah. So we can make it about them and talking about them. It's a completely different approach. It's so refreshing for the prospect because now we're talking about something that's important to me that's on my priority list. Yeah. I almost feel like, um, you know, what you're doing just to kind of like bring it all back around. Have you ever used some of these same things? Do you catch yourself now, now that you train people or maybe you've heard students like take some of this and be like, Jason, oh my God, like this is crazy. But I learned that same, <laughs> that I use that same email framework, or maybe, I don't know if you have a story, Jason, of uh, how you convinced your wife to uh, go on that second date with you, you know, after the first one, do you think any of this stuff translates? And if so, how have you seen it? Oh, absolutely. <laughs> I mean, I didn't need to really convince my wife to go on a second date. We had such a good time on the first date. It was uh, like, when are we going to hang out next? Uh, when I was marketing director, because I spent three years as a marketing director for that painting company. And they didn't have a formal marketing department. It was a 30, $35 million company. So I had to work through IT a lot to get our projects done. You know, I had to work with a guy named Chris. He was the IT director or whatever his title was, but he managed the entire IT team. 
So if it wasn't on his priority list, it wasn't getting done anytime soon. So instead of me coming in and trying to fight on why my thing should be higher on his list, I just asked him, you know, I'm curious, how do you prioritize what's on your list? How do you figure out what's most important to you? And I imagine you're getting pulled in a lot of different directions. You're not dealing with stuff from me, but I know legal's got a lot of stuff right now, finance. I'm just curious, how do you figure out what to prioritize? And I learned a lot about his process. And I learned, how could I make him look good at the same time? And how can I talk about all the good stuff he's doing for our department? When I talk to my boss, right? One of the partners of the company I work directly with. You know, that's what was important to him. So I got to figure that stuff out. So what is important to the people that you're talking to, whether you're trying to like internally at work, get a project pushed forward and you got to go through other people that are peers, right? It could be with your friends, your spouse, like what's important to these people? When we go out and you're trying to make plans with people and you're trying to go to a restaurant you want to go to, you can't just make the argument, I want to go to this place. They have great food. Well, Alex, what if I don't know that the most important thing to you is that the environment is really fun and that we can sit outside? For us, a big thing is, can we bring our dog? You know, if you don't ask me about this and know these things, how can you position what you want in a way that's of benefit to me? Because people aren't going to want to do things that don't benefit them unless they're a complete pushover, (laughs) you know? So yeah, absolutely. In almost every context I can think of, this applies. Yeah. Last question. Like, what about like the end? Because I think like when I hear you talk, the thing that's hardest for people is then the positioning because they don't know when to ask or their ask seems too forward or they're afraid to ask or it's, you know, they, they're okay. I've, I've, I found out all this stuff and now all this stuff. So now how do I actually go in for the ask in a way that doesn't sound me centric and, and creepy and it's, it's a soft, it's casual. It's, it feels a lot better than, Hey, can you download this or, you know, can you do this for me? If everything up to that point has been about the other person, mm-hmm. you don't have to overthink this part. So you know how I close deals? Yeah, go ahead. Hey, Alex, I'd love to work with you. What do we need you to get started, man? <laughs> yeah, yeah. So what do you say? You're- Are we going to get to do the project again? I don't have a scripted way that I close. Because if I've done everything up to that point. You were already closing. Really exactly. So think about a, uh, someone made this analogy and I think it's brilliant. Think about someone that runs a hundred meter race. That race is won or lost in that 10 seconds or nine seconds or whatever it is, that Olympic racer. But they did four years of preparation prior to that. That race was already won or lost prior to that race. So we tend to focus on that 10 seconds that they're sprinting, but that's not what won or lost the race. The close, how you ask the close, that's not going to determine whether you win the sale or not, unless you completely mess it up. So what I would think about is two things. One, how do we relieve some tension? Everyone knows when a close is coming and that big question's coming. How can you relieve some attention? And I don't know about you, I like to have fun when I sell. And I think people are so serious. It's like, so Alex, let's move forward with this. Do you want to get started with this option or this option? Versus, dude, Alex, I'm super excited to work with you, man. Like, what do we want to do here? What do you want to do to get started? I want to work with you. I think there's a really good figure. What do we need to do to get this started, Yeah, man? how do we I make love this work? Here. Yeah. You can get away with a lot. When I say get away, I don't mean being manipulative or taking advantage of someone. When I say getting away, I just mean being really blunt. You can be really blunt and straightforward and ask for what you want if you do with a smile on your face. Yeah. It's really hard. And it comes out over the phone too. Hmm. Put a smile on your face. Don't overthink it and just ask for what you want. 
Yeah, you're making me think of like as an AE, you know, the last um, couple sales that have agreed, it wasn't like this event, like it was like, okay, so, you know, we have this option, we know this is your process. And would you like to do this? Is this something you would like to do? It was just like, they were doing all these things that I was like, okay, so I assume if we're going this route that like we're we're doing this, right? Oh yeah, yeah, the decision's been made. It wasn't even like, are there other people involved? I didn't have to ask those weird, icky questions. It was just like, okay, so I don't know, I might be crazy, but you know, it sounds like the decision's been made. Are we are we have we been selected? And it's like, oh, oh yeah, yeah, you've been selected. Oh, yeah. okay, yeah. It's like just of course you have. What do you mean? Like because the buyers are afraid to bring it up. They don't want to make it yeah. into like this big thing. Like Hey, just we're together. We, we've been having all these calls. I like talking to you. You you can kind of feel if there's even that last little bit of indecision, right? You know, people aren't getting back or you're being asked questions about competitors or you're being asked really like off the wall questions. Then you kind of know, but like when it feels good, you don't have to overthink anything. It's just like, so looks like we're we're doing this thing right <laughs> like because people won't tell you they don't formally say alex i want to let you know you've been selected or sometimes they will but normally they don't want to tell you you know people are so afraid of rejection but you know what people are almost just as much afraid to do reject other people mm, yeah so people don't enjoy rejecting others they just don't unless you're a psychopath most people <laughs> do not so what you need to take into consideration when you're selling is that people aren't going to really be super honest with you unless you create an environment where it's really easy to do that. So when you can do stuff like, hey, Alex, dude, it could just be me, but I'm kind of sensing there's something you're a little uneasy about when I mentioned the price just now, which is totally okay. But if you're comfortable with it, I'd love to just talk about what's your gut telling you right now. I always ask questions like that. I'll always ask a question. This is how I got a recent deal. At the end, I was talking to the VP and I was just really unsure. I couldn't get a read on him. Yeah. And I was like, hey, Alex, this is totally on me. But I'm, dude, I'm having a heck of a time reading. I can't tell if this is something you want to move <laughs> forward with. That's totally okay. But I figured we just have a candid conversation. You seem like a guy that doesn't like to waste his time. Yeah. And then, and then and, he probably and told he you exactly. Happened. Yeah. He's like, oh, no, yeah, we're definitely going to go forward with this, you know? So just don't be afraid to ask the question and address the elephant in the room. Uh, one thing that I'm really big on right now, I'm, I'm forgetting the book that this was in, but it's make the implicit explicit. Yeah. All the things that you think are going on, let's be super explicit with it. Totally. I want to know if, if you don't want to move forward, that's okay. But I want to know because what we can avoid is you getting off this call and then me hunting you down for the next six months before I give up. Cause that's, that's how long I'm going to pursue this. And then I might recycle it again the next year and then start reaching out to you again. I'd rather just not reach out if it's not a fit. Yeah. People like it when you respect their time. It's not about just you. That's like respecting them. It really, I mean, that's just like you're a straight shooter. You're just, it's not being pushy. Sometimes people think it is, but it's just like, hey, like I'm having a heck of a time reading you, man. Like you, you look like somebody that doesn't want to waste their time. No one likes to do that, right? So you're just, I know you love Chris Voss and I've, you've been asked this yep. on the podcast. It's just all about like just making the unsaid, you know, saying it, getting into the conversation that people are having in their heads and you're articulating yep. it because they're not willing to say it. They don't want to put their cards on the table and they don't want to, they don't want to be mean because maybe they like you. 
You know, they just, yeah. or some, and maybe sometimes they just don't even know. They don't know quite yet. And then they don't want to say it because they want to look like a, an a-hole or whatever for like saying something, but you'll never know unless you kind of like just it's labeling or you're just kind of like asking questions to really, you know, yeah, get someone to think and help themselves out. Right. And they go, okay, wow. He's picking up on what I'm feeling by saying what he just said or yeah, not, you, you know? know, and they'll tell you. The same thing applies with the people that work for you or that you work for too. Those are sales contexts too. Creating an environment where people that work for you or that you work for feel comfortable giving you feedback and having those candid conversations, it's the same exact thing. Yeah. I, I saw, I heard a quote once, like people won't like about like your, your workers, like um, if you're a, a manager or a leader, like people under you, people won't always tell you how they feel, but they'll show you like, yeah. they may not say I'm unhappy at work, but they'll like, you know, be late to meetings or they'll, they'll come not smiling or they'll like their work will suffer and they'll do those sales or suffer. So it's like, they don't have to verbalize it like by their actions. You're just like, Hey, what's, what's going on here? What's wrong? But like, that's just because we, we sometimes don't want to verbalize it, but we, we our actions, our emotions come out, our feelings will come out eventually. Oh, absolutely. Cool. This has been such a fun conversation. You know, one of my things, my theories is that by selling, we all have these human qualities about us. We all sell differently. It doesn't matter what framework you use out there. You could have students that use your framework to the T, but how they communicate it is through the lens of their own experiences. And so this is just a fun thing about you. So, you know, if you could think of something, this could be a story in your life or a person in your life or just something. If I asked your friends, your closest friend, maybe your wife, what is that one thing that you can think of that is just so totally Jason, that something that could only or would only be something that Jason Bay would do or like, what is that one thing? And we already talked about Nickelback in the beginning. So they have millions of followers. So unless you're like going to just, you know, just jam out on guitar with your shirt off and and you do that. But um, what is that thing that's like just so you that you don't think anybody else does out there? I mean, I think there are a few people that do this, primarily people that are more musically inclined. So I play guitar. I, I know how to play a little bit of drums and, you know, that kind of thing. And used to be in a band and all this other stuff that was fun. One thing I'm always doing, man, always going doing stuff like this, drumming. Drum, I'm always making oh. sound, you know, stuff like that. I always get a beat in my head. And there's always a nervous tick that I'm doing something like this or pounding my hands like this. I don't know if you can hear it on my feet. I always got a beat. My wife, when she first noticed that, she thought I had a tick. You know, this is like our, maybe our third or fourth date. Mm. And she thought it was like, he's got some sort of weird tick or something. What, what the hell is he doing? You know? <laughs> so if anyone spent a lot of time with me, you know, I always have a beat or some sort of riff or some sort of drum beat or something in my head that I'm doing. And I do it a lot. It's constant. It is the entire day. I always have music in my head. That's so, uh, yeah, that's, that's something that's a little, little weird about me, dude. That's fun. Do you have, will you, will you just start banging the drums like after that? Or is it just your fingers? Uh, just my fingers. I don't have a drum set. Unfortunately, it's something that I want, want to get. So I haven't been able to actually play drums in a while, but a lot of the, uh, the way that I think about guitar and the songs that I like playing. So I love playing, you know, classic rock. So Van Halen, Def Leppard, that sort of stuff. 
It's always a good groove and beat to it. So that for me is really what makes the song is that that groove and how the guitar slides into that, you know, that kind of groove, that pocket, you know, is what they say. So yeah, that that for me is it right there. That, that's probably the weirdest thing about me. That's probably the weirdest appropriate thing to share about me. <laughs> <laughs> We're good. I'll, I'll leave it at that because you said, you know, cool to ask you any questions, but, you know, maybe offline. But what would you suggest we play for your your uh, intro? What what Nickelback song for for your intro in the beginning? Uh, well, if I had to pick a, a Nickelback song, it'd probably be Follow You Home okay. off their All the Reasons album. It's got a really sick double kick drum beat at the beginning. Or the other song that I would do is just Panama by Van Halen. That that would be a, a song uh, that I would come out to given a speech or something, you know. Okay, maybe we'll make that happen. Well, you've certainly made some great music, man, with the the advice and the conversation, just how we could all like start conversations and uh, not totally bomb <laughs> yeah. the, the first time out and, and have that screeching sound uh, in, in songs. So Jay, how can people connect with you, find you, like start a conversation with you, maybe take some of these tips and try them out, try them out on me, try them out on you um, after this. Yeah, absolutely. So we got a lot of free stuff. Uh, that could be a good place to start. So blissfulprospecting.com. Uh, we've got a podcast I post daily on LinkedIn. There's a bunch of guides on there. We do webinars every week. A lot of really good prospecting sales advice. What I feel very confident about is that it's the, it's the most tactical stuff that you're going to find. What should be in the email that I write? How do I personalize an email? What should it say? How many times? All of that kind of stuff you're going to find in there. And if you're looking for uh, some help because you're like, hey, there's a lot of content out here, but how do I kind of focus and get some feedback on stuff to help me? We do prospecting boot camps. So those are paid. Yeah, it's a way for you to get help with me directly as a rep. And we do programs for companies too. So if you're running a team and you're like, yeah, I'd, I'd love for them to prospect you know, better and feel more comfortable doing this and get meetings, we work with companies as well. So all of that's at blissfulprospecting.com. Awesome. And I will co-sign that all day long. I'm a big fan of his podcast. And yes, if you just want a, a simple framework, go there. It's it's all there. The book is there. You just got to open it and read it and actually do it. So Jason Bay, thanks so much for coming on today. I really, really enjoyed the conversation. And I yeah, me too, man. Too. Thanks for having me on. All right, man. Thanks a lot. Hey, gang. All right. Wow. You made it to the end. I know your time is valuable. So thank you from the bottom of my heart for spending your time here with me. If you heard a quote you liked, got a quick bit of value, or you have an idea that can help convince others to join, I urge you to take a minute and leave a five-star rating and review. That helps us gain influence and bring some really great guests on to add even more value to you and others. You can also always contact me directly to tell me your thoughts. I'd love to hear from you. All my info is in the notes. Let's help convince anyone that they have the ability to sell well just by being great humans. And this podcast is proof. All right. See you on the next episode of Stories of Selling Human.